Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. Um, The scripture reading for today is Jonah 3, 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything. They shall not feed, they shall not drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn their evil ways from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Betsy as well. Betsy, nice work. My favorite line in that is, who knows? God may change God's mind. <laughs> right there in the Bible. Whew. Uh, we're doing Jonah, and what a, what a weird story. So first of all, I'm going to give a summary of the whole story. And then we're going to have a robust conversation about what it might mean. And then I'm going to offer some reflections on what it might mean for us in our journeys and in 2021. So that is where we're going. Uh, So Jonah, first of all, means dove or gentle one. That's what Jonah means. And Jonah the Amittai, uh, Amittai means my truth. So anytime you see the word Jonah, you can just insert dove or gentle and my truth. That's what that means. So the story goes like this. God calls a man named Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh to try to get them to repent of their wickedness, like what happens usually every Monday morning for Rick Patton. Jonah doesn't say a word. He just boards a ship headed for Tarshish. And it says in Jonah 1 verse 3, Tarshish was 
was, was away from the presence of the Lord. That's where Jonah is going. But when a vicious storm on the boat threatens to kill everyone on board, Jonah allows himself to be thrown overboard into the violent sea. But we read in verse one, verse 17, chapter 1, the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And while inside the belly of the fish, Jonah prays a beautiful prayer. It is gorgeous. And uh, you can read that prayer in chapter 2. But then... After the prayer, God causes the fish to spit Jonah out onto dry land. And in the next scene of the story, we see Jonah marching through Nineveh, the huge city, calling for the people to repent. And it works. The whole city, everyone in it, including the king, repents. And then we read in chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, the repenting, God changed God's mind about the calamity that he had said would, he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And that's where the story should end, but it doesn't. <laughs> As chapter four starts, we read this word, these words, this, the God, God changing God's mind, was very displeasing to Jonah, we read in chapter four, verse one, and he became angry. So he marched east until he was outside of the city limits, and he built a booth, and he sat there watching to see what would happen to the city, which makes me think, what did he think was going to happen to the city? <laughs> and God responds to Jonah's marching east to the city limits and watching to see what would happen to the city by creating a bush to sort of shelter Jonah from the blistering heat. But then the next day, God sends a worm to eat the bush so that Jonah wouldn't have any shelter from the blistering heat. <laughs> oh my gosh. At this point, Jonah says he is so angry that he begs God to let him die. Story ends with God reproaching Jonah. You are concerned, Jonah, about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned, God says, about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals. That's the end of the story. <laughs> what are we going to do with that? What a strange story. Uh, in my studying, the scholars agree. We don't know who wrote it, we don't know when it was written, and we don't know why it was written. So we got that going for us. The only other time Jonah, son of Amittai, is mentioned in the Hebrew scriptures is in 2 Kings 14, 25, and it doesn't say much. As for the story's genre, it might be a parable, it might be satire, and it may even be a midrash of 2 Kings 14, point 20, point 25, 14 verse 25. Midrash is sort of a imaginative wondering about what, what might this story mean to give it meaning and purpose. So it's an absurd story. The good guy disobeys God. The good guy gets swallowed by a fish and lives. The bad guys repent. By the way, Nineveh 
is filled with Assyrians who are the sworn enemies of the children of God. Okay. So you got that going for him. Gives you a hint and why of why Jonah was so mad that they were saved. The bad guys repent and all are saved. And God seems kind of capricious through it all. Capricious, you guys, kids, means open to changing their mind, hard to pin down, hard to figure out what they're going to do next. What with him changing his mind about everything. And so <laughs> that is what we have. So let's have a conversation because there's lots going on here. First of all, remember God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh or God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. So let's do an all play question. Looks like we already had, <laughs> had some comments. Uh, Will, yes, I think we underestimate how funny the Bible is sometimes. 100%, I agree with you. And then Nate Banker, thank you for including the Bernie meme into the liturgy. <laughs> yes. And by the way, on the seventh day, God created Bernie memes. Can we, can we just rejoice <laughs> for all the memes? That was so funny. Um, and then Willie, when I read this text, I noticed the very interesting detail that the city is a three-day walk, but Jonah only went for a day's walk, which means that the news of God's impending judgment went viral outside of Jonah's own words and actions. Totally. Somehow it spread from one person to another, and it had great effect. But here, here's my question. Uh, in chapter one, God calls or God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. So here's, here's my question. When God commands us to do something, what are our options? That's the all play question. You can use the chat to give your answers. Remember, just use beginner's mind here. There's no right answers. This is just a way for us to continue the conversation and hear God's voice in a bigger way than just one person, right? So when God commands us to do something or calls us to do something, uh, what options do we have? That is the question. Uh, so I think this is from Kara. Perhaps God was never angry with us in the first place, but when we turned to grace and forgiveness, we felt the love of God simply by being with one another. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. And then Dan Cook, do it. This is the option. Do it or say no or pretend we didn't hear God. Yeah, right? You can follow it. You can not follow it or you can pretend that you didn't hear it. Ah, uh, Yes. Uh, John Powell, obey or not obey? Yep. Uh, Genesis, or sorry, um, from Bob Timperley, you can say no, yes. From Laura, listen, don't listen, have Z, rationalize, listen, and just pick your favorite parts. Yes. It's interesting to me that Jonah doesn't stay. It's not like he says, okay, I'm not going to go anywhere. He just picks where he's going to go. <laughs> I've never done that before. Um, you can barter with God. Yes, Nate. Uh, from Elizabeth Norgren, try to listen harder for what you were really hoping for, hoping to hear. Yes, yes. There's another option of, of you know, creating God calling you to do something when God didn't really call you to do something, but saying God called me to do it. I'm almost positive I broke up with a girlfriend back in my Christian, early, early Christian, because God was calling me to do it. That's abuse. That's terrible. Uh, okay. Uh, nope, not me. I am admin. <laughs> okay, admin. I don't know who admin is. Um, John Powell, um, love that Elizabeth, spot on. Yes. You can argue, Peyton. Yes, you can argue. Um, from Kara, we're just trying to... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. Bob Timperley is admin. Thank you very much. That is very confusing. Um, and I'm now cleared up. So uh, Jonah chooses to, he chooses the option of running, which is an option. He chooses to flee away from God's presence to Tarshish. But there seems to be more to the story when we finally hear from Jonah a little more explicitly in chapter four. And if you have a Bible or if you have your phone, I, I invite you to turn to it because it's not printed in your liturgy. But Jonah chapter four, we read this. After God spares Nineveh, after they repent and God doesn't do the thing that God was planning to do, we read this in chapter four, verse two from Jonah. Oh, Lord. Is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. Now, we're not going to take this time to do an all play, but like, what problem do you notice in that? This is what I said while I was still in my own country. That's why I fled from Tarshish at the beginning. What, what problem do we see there? In chapter one, he doesn't say anything. Let me remind you. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and crowd against it, for their wickedness has come before me. That's chapter one, verse two. And in verse three, what we don't see is Jonah saying, but wait a minute, you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to angry, slow to anger and abounding in stuff last love. So I don't want to go preach repentance to my enemies, the Assyrians, because I know you'll forgive them. So no, I'm not going to go. That's what he's saying in chapter four, verse two, but he doesn't say it in chapter one. Is anybody, is everyone seeing that? What is happening? So let's now have a conversation about that using the chat. What do you think really happened? Is Jonah making this up like we do sometimes, like we insert a new part of the story that really didn't happen to make ourselves feel better? Or is this just the first time we're hearing Jonah's side of the story? And the writer of this story wanted us to not hear it until then. What do you think is really happening? What's really going on? Use the chat. Okay, Nate, you think he didn't say that. Uh, from Bob, his eyes were eventually open to the extravagant love of God. Maybe, but then why is he so angry at the end? Why does he tell God, I want to die? Why does the story end with Jonah <laughs> sitting outside of the city waiting for it to burn and uh, getting mad at God for creating a bush and then destroying the bush? I mean, maybe, maybe he's opened up to God's love, but it, it kind of doesn't seem like he is. Uh, okay, what else, you guys? What do you think is really happening? Nate, this is a story slash myth. There's probably some sort of storytelling strategy happening. Yes. And by the way, you guys, when I said, what genre is this? Is this parable? Is this satire? Is this midrash? It's almost surely not a literal story that literally happened. Um, now, if you have to believe that, if you need to believe that, I think you can. I think you can go ahead and believe that. But if, if, if 
as my son asked, dad, wouldn't the digestive juices in a, be- in a, in a fish's belly kill a person for three days and three nights? <laughs> I said, yes, that's probably true. So you can also look at this story as a, a genre of stories that's meant to say something big and the literal truth in it is not the most important thing. So if we lose our minds on whether or not it happened literally, then we may miss out on the bigger part of the story, which hopefully we'll get to. Peyton, if someone I was talking to behaved how Jonah behaved, I'd be thinking, number one, what the heck, dude? And number two, what do you need that you're missing right now, right? Like, dude, you need some help. You are traumatized and angry. What do you need? Um, Okay, from Bob, love it, super parable. Yes, Uh, Brian McWhite, seems like Jonah is trying to find the bare minimum of obedience through the entire story. He's showing that his hatred for the Assyrians is prioritized above his love for God. Also, go Pat, go. (laughs) You know what? That's a huge point uh, that, you know, it it takes him being thrown into the sea. It takes him being vomited out of a fish's belly to actually go and do what God wants him to do. But also, he's got a lot of reasons to not want to go and preach repentance to the Assyrians because what if God does forgive them? And what if the Assyrians don't get the punishment that he thinks they deserve? Now, as good Christians, we're not supposed to think that way, right? (laughs) That people should get what they deserve. But what if the inclusion of Jonah's... uh, emotions in this story and his reluctant obedience, if it's obedience at all, is there to show us this is what it's really like to be human and try to follow God. Whatever really happened in the story of Jonah, whatever really happened, whether he said it or not, uh, the story of Jonah brings up a very difficult question. And that is, what do we do with our own feelings of anger when we see people not getting the punishment that we think they deserve, or even worse, when we see them getting blessed when they don't deserve the blessing, right? What does it mean when we are faced with our own Jonah moment where we don't, we don't want those people to receive God's mercy? Remember, he said, um, that is why I fled to Tarshish. I knew you're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. You're ready to relent from punishing. So I didn't want to go. Now say what you want about Jonah, but this is an honest story. Amen? If we're honest, we find ourselves in the same moment as Jonah finds himself in. Let me give you an example from another part of scriptures, right? Uh, You know the story of Cain and Abel, right? The two brothers, and uh, from, from Genesis 4, and let me just read a couple verses. So these are the sons of Adam and Eve. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit from the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings or the first fruits of his flock, their fat portions. And then we read, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Here's an all play question. 
why did God have regard for Abel's offering and no regard for Cain's offering? Use the comments to answer. Uh, and another from Nate Banker, I think I felt that, yep, the punishment piece when the Capitol rioters weren't met with the same harshness from police that the Black Lives Matter protesters were. Yeah. Big time. Um, now, why did God have regard for Abel's offering and not Cain's offering? Just shoot your answers. Use use beginner's mind. I'm not trying to trick you. <laughs> well, maybe I am. <laughs> why did Cain's offering not get accepted while Abel's offering did? Oh, you guys aren't answering because you think I'm trying to trick you. Well, let me just go then. Uh we're going to say it's because Abel's offering was the first fruits. It was the fat. Um, okay, thank you, Bob. Uh, Cain had ulterior motives. Yep. Will, Cain didn't give his best, didn't give his first fruits, didn't give the fat. Yep, exactly. That's what all of us are going to say. That's what all of us, that's, that's the only reason I've ever heard. But one time I was listening to a Jewish rabbi. Her name is Sandy Sasso. And she told this story and she asked that question, why was Cain's offering not accepted. And we all gave our answers. It was amazing. And then she goes, the truth is that the Bible never tells us. The Bible, the Bible tells us that of Cain's offering, God had no regard, but we are not told why. And she went on to say, of the many layers of meaning in this story, one of the layers is, what do we do when we feel like God has treated us unfairly. What do we do when we find ourselves in Cain's position? And we give God what we feel like is a good gift. And what if we didn't have ulterior motives that we were aware of anyway? What if, what if we feel treated unfairly by God when God has called us to do something? What are our options then, right? Uh, okay, John Powell, maybe scripture is teaching us that life isn't fair. And see, that's what I mean. Like, we can look for some of the elementary principles that the scriptures are trying to teach us, but the story of Jonah, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Job, um, you know, versus saying what really happened or what, what was God doing? When we ask the question, what are, what question is it trying to help us grapple with? then we can get to some deeper meanings for our lives, right? Like, like what if the scripture is teaching us that God isn't fair? Um, and Peyton, yes, build a shack in the desert and wait to die. Oh my gosh. And then Bob, God's grace is not tied to my gifts. Yes, yes. And yet, okay, and, and Will, the Psalms teach us a lot about how to talk to God when we think God treats us unfairly. Yes. Thank you for saying that, Will. We have plenty of examples in the Psalms and other places for how to relate to God. So when we feel like God is treating us unfairly or when we are called by God to do something and we feel like we don't want to do it, what are our options? Well, we have a lot of options, actually. We have many more options than simply to obey or not to obey. And you could argue that I'm not sure if Jonah in this story ever truly obeyed, even though he went through the city and preached. Is that obedience when you really, at the end of the day, want the whole city to burn anyway? Maybe, 
Maybe it is. Maybe that was the best he, 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 he could offer. Um, Bob, God has never treated me unfairly. It is only that I've taken the low road and suffered for it. That is awesome. I sometimes have felt like God has treated me unfairly. Whether or not God has is maybe irrelevant. I have felt like it. So I appreciate your opinion, Bob. And I'm just, at, I'm just doing the counterpunch to say that I have felt at times. <laughs> I have felt treated unfairly. Um, when I don't get the job I wanted in ministry, you know, I remember one time pointing at a chair saying, God, now the ball is in your court because I didn't get this ministry job that I wanted. <laughs> oh, gosh, I was a true, true disciple of Jesus in that moment for sure. <laughs> so let's do some reflections, you guys. Um, okay, but I, I want to the flip side of what you said, Nate, I think I wanted the Capitol riots to be punished more than I wanted the George Floyd rioters to be punished, right? They were both enraged and irrational. I just don't happen to support the cause of one and not the other. Thanks, Brian, for being honest too. And, and thanks, Nate, for being honest. I mean, this is where these conversations lead us to, we talked about last week about our confirmation bias and our contact bias. Confirmation bias says that we're only gonna uh, look for things that support the views we already have. And so I think, Brian, what you're pointing out is like, whew, sometimes those things can point out our confirmation bias. And I think this story is also in part about confirmation bias. Um, so, whew, whew. so let's do some reflecting. Um, what might this story mean to us? Um, whether it's literal, not literal, um, I think there's so many things that we can take from it. Uh, so many things. A couple things that I take from it is this. Number one, whatever else this story shows, it gives us permission to begin a dialogue with God when we don't understand God's actions. It gives us permission to begin a dialogue with God when we don't understand what God is doing in the world. Uh, for example, Moses had a long dialogue with God in Exodus 3 and 4. God calls Moses uh, to return to Egypt where he came from, to lead God's people out of slavery. And what does Moses say? The first thing he says is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Later on, he says, I'm not a good speaker. I stutter. Uh, they have this long back and forth. And then he finally says, like, and by the way, who are you? <laughs> like, if I go and say this guy, this God is supposed to see sent me. Who, who are you even? You know, it's, it's beautiful. Jeremiah does the same thing. He talks back to God. God calls Jeremiah a prophet to bring God's word uh, to a group of people. And then in chapter one of Jeremiah, verse six, Jeremiah says, ah, Lord God, truly, I don't know how to speak for I'm only a boy. I, I can't do this. This is not going to happen. You, you, you've called me to do this, but I can't. Right. And, 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 and the point there is not to say like, Oh no, Jeremiah, you can, you're the best. God, what God calls you, God, you know, like all that stuff, just be in that moment right there before reassuring Jeremiah, be in that moment. What does it feel like to feel called by God to do something that you feel utterly incapable of doing? Like in that moment, what do you do? Uh, before you get to answers, before you get to well, wait a minute, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and all that stuff. How does, what does it feel like to feel like you're incapable of doing the thing that God is calling you to do? And can we be a community of people that listens and, and creates space and provides some, 
some ability to live in that tension for a little while. Um, when I am laid low, Bob says, I need to look into my own heart and try to open the door once again. Yes, yes, yes. Nate, uh, it's normal and even human. I got to go back now to be mad at God, to be pissed at God, even things we should be grateful for. Uh, Mark Granger, God will take your effort and make it work. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Danny Cook, I love that by the end of the story, Jonah still hasn't learned his lesson. He's still mad at God, exactly. Shows that God keeps working on us even when we're not wanting to join in that work. Yes. Uh, Mark Granger, God tends to use those who don't really have the resume for it. Yes. Uh, Nate, we're not supposed to conform to the patterns of God and refuse to bring our true selves to the picture. We can be honest. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then Nico and Regan, I wonder if it's more about the process than the conclusion. Well, I think that's true because when we dive into the process, then we can be changed from the inside out rather than just doing something because we're supposed to. Uh uh, from Cassandra, like a kid that doesn't know how to do something frustrated and sad. Yeah. Uh, Brian, again, I think part of the message is, Jonah, is that God's love and mercy is going to win out whether or not we decide to participate in it. Yes. So do we want to participate in that love and mercy? Or do we want to sit outside? I'm, I'm going to paraphrase outside on the east side of the city and let ourselves be taken over by hate and frustration. <laughs> what Dan said. <laughs> And then Bob, darkness of the soul, reminded of the power of my own ego over my ability to be loved. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. This is not for the all play, just for you to ponder. Uh, what gets you angry these days? You know, Joan is clearly angry by the end of the story. What gets you angry these days? And then what dialogue would you like to begin with God about that? About that, what, I mean, what, and then how honest will you be? And I think what the desert fathers and mothers teach us is that we can create space to be honest with God and to bring our honest questions to God. And at the end of the day, uh, I think the question is, will we, will we side on love and mercy over our own want and need for others to be punished or for us to be blessed? And that's in all of us. Last thing, uh, well, there's so many more things, but I wrote one more thing down. The story also starts a great conversation about learning to see, which is the big theme of epiphany, the season that we're in. So uh, Jonah went through a miracle, you know, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. He was spit out. Uh, that is a sign. It's like a miracle. He must've thought I've been saved for something, right? Um, or the little sign of like before the bush got eaten, you know, God created this bush. Oh, God still loves me. These are signs, right? Of God's presence. But in what ways are we so focused on looking for these small signs, like God providing a bush under which we can find shelter for us, that we become blind to what God is doing around us? and blind to seeing the other with whom God is doing that work. Uh, in Matthew 12, 38, Jesus brings up Jonah in a very obscure and oblique way. But just listen to this. this is Matthew 12, starting in verse 38. Some of the religious leaders said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous 
he, he wasn't always nice. <laughs> he wasn't always nice. He answered, Jesus answered, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah, to which they would be scratching their heads and saying, well, what, what in the world was the sign of the prophet Jonah? For just as Jonah, Jesus said, was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Now listen to this. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. That means at the end of times, when all is done and when Jesus returns, the people of Nineveh, remember the Assyrians, the enemies, will rise up with this generation, with you guys, to condemn it. Because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is happening here. The queen of the south, that's the enemy, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and will condemn it. He's saying, we'll condemn you guys. Uh, because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and see something greater than Solomon is here. So the sign of Jonah is this. It's all about learning to see. Are you willing to acknowledge your own propensity to seeing only the narrow thing that God is doing just for you, the little sign, the bush that God is creating to shelter you, that you become blind to seeing the something greater that Jesus has, spo has spoken of and the other <laughs> that is getting it when we do not get it? And this is a confrontation. Will we learn to see? Are we willing to ask God to show us the something greater that God is doing that we can't see so that we can join in that work? And I think, honestly, I think Brian's comment about like, ugh, I wanted the rioters at the Capitol to be, to be punished more is starting to get at that. If we have the honesty to, to answer, to ask ourselves those questions, in what ways do I only see what I want to see? So I can't see the greater thing that God is doing. I think that's the sign of Jonah. Um, and so my friends, <laughs> I hate this. Um, but in what ways do we have to wrestle down? Uh, what gets us angry? What dialogue do we need to start with God? And how honest can we be? And then can we hear back from God the words that might enable us to see more? Can we do that? As a community, can we do that? As individuals, can we do that? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.